but I think if everybody shows up uh, willing to take 100% responsibility, like we also have no excuses anymore for ourselves. And <laughs> you know, when I have a bad day, I can come up with a hundred thousand excuses for why I shouldn't have to send another reminder for people to finally deliver this work. Or be upset with people, um, you know, not joining the meeting on time because, you know, all these kind of things, it's small things, but they add up. But if we, uh, if we focus more on what we do and how we are with others, uh, instead of focusing on what others should be doing, it's much more empowering. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. Today, we have Nicole Cheresca with us, and the title is Building Remarkable Partnerships Through Positive Psychology, Positive Leadership, and Advanced Problem Solving. Nicole comes out of the R&D, science, and tech space, and that's who she works with today, organizations and teams that are committed to research and development, consist of scientists, technology folks who often speak, communicate, build relationship, build trust differently than some other spaces. She is a coach and a consultant that helps people in this space do their best work. She's going to talk today about collaboration. What she talks about is building remarkable partnerships, the keys to having uh, focusing on different types of communication and styles of communication, the critical role of relationships and trust building. She's going to talk about vulnerability and how it might be a little different in the R&D science and tech space. She's also going to talk about an interesting concept about 100% ownership, getting away from this allocation of ownership and instead having a culture where every person takes 100% ownership and responsibilities of the outcome and the experience. This is the conversation you need to hear if you work with, lead, manage, or interact in any way with the R&D science and tech space. Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are excited to be back here today. We have a guest from Germany. It's our first guest from Germany. I don't know why it's taken us so long, Craig. I mean, <laughs> come on, I think we'd have made, we'd made this happen sooner. So we have Dr. Nicole Cheresca with us today. She is a coach and a consultant who helps leaders and teams in the R&D and tech do their best work. Now, that's a unique perspective for us. We've talked a lot about leadership and management and collaboration but not uniquely in the space of R&D and tech. Now, Nicole worked with her clients to improve collaboration, communication skills, so that their work gets the momentum and recognition it deserves. She also helps construct ways of working that reduce stress, increase motivation and engagement, and deliver results. And we all know we need that today. As I said, Nicole is coming to us from Hamburg, Germany. She's got a PhD in chemistry. She's trained in coaching, positive psychology, change management, and advanced problem solving. And this one I love, when she's not buried in research papers and books, you can find her taking long hikes in the German countryside or mesmerized by Mary Poppin on the screen. So welcome, <laughs> Nicole. Hi, both. Thanks for having me. Hi. Yes, my wife and I were talking about uh, taking a trip out to Germany recently and just going hiking in the mountains sounds amazing. And yeah. Mary yeah, well, I heard the U.S. just uh, issued a warning for coming to Germany oh, because yeah? of the high, high case numbers we have. But ah. when this is all over, please do come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's not Sound of Music, it's Mary Poppins. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I do have to ask this question before we start, Nicole. First or second, Mary Poppins? Oh. <sighs> Oh dear. I mean, the first one is great and it set the tone for everything and it has so many quotes that just stick with you. <laughs> but the second one, Emily Blunt, she's brilliant. And I watched it in the cinema 
uh, way back when it was released. And at one point, I remember my I remember catching myself jaw dropped, staring <laughs> at the screen like I am a little child. And it was just so <laughs> I don't know. It just took me with it. So the music and the story and everything. And yeah, I just love it. <laughs> we may talk more about that later. I'm a big fan. I love the first one. It's what I grew up with. But I was drawn to the second one because I'm a huge fan of Lynn Manuel Miranda. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he was in that just <laughs> <laughs> that was my jaw drop. Oh <laughs> yes, fabulous, fabulous. We will see where that takes us. So Nicole, give everybody a little bit of the backstory on your journey. Yeah. So I'm a scientist by training. I studied food chemistry and have a PhD in chemistry. And the early years of my career, I spent in the consumer goods innovation side of things. So actually creating the formulas that go into food products or into cosmetics. Um, so standing at the lab bench, working with marketing, which was my first aha moment of uh, where um collaborations can go wrong <laughs> without <laughs> so any bad intention on either side but i guess we're going to talk more about that later and um yeah and then i did that for a few years and then i guess the the universe nudged me uh through a case of uh, restructuring in the business which led to me being on the wrong position having a bore out and uh, having to completely rethink what am I going to do? And through all of those circumstances, I ended up in a completely different part of the business in supply chain, hmm. uh, but not doing supply chain management, but rather doing change management and facilitating continuous improvement. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, I had also then finished my coaching training. And it's just, um, I mean, as much as I love the science and I still find it fascinating. Um, it's this whole aspect of working with people and helping others learn new things, discover new things. This is also something that I had uh, touch points with uh, across my life. So starting from teaching my imaginary school class when I was a child <laughs> to then actually tutoring students or then giving chemistry seminars to engineers when I was at uni and so on and so on. And so now I can do this type of people work full time, which is just brilliant. Now, do you find that going from science, which is, you know, you, you, you know that if you put things together in a certain way, you're going to get a certain outcome versus the people side where you do something and you might get the outcome you're looking for, you know, or have you figured out the science behind coaching? That is actually one of the things that was the least gratifying at the very beginning <laughs> about this work, because there was not one cause and effect relationship. Mm. Uh, there were so many things we had to try and there was so, and there, there still are, you know, so many things where you just have to release control and be okay with whatever the outcome <laughs> is. Right. And that was not easy at the beginning. Um, but I've, I've, reached a point where I've come to a place where I where I find this is the most fun part actually because mm -hmm. uh, it means that humans are empowered to do what they want to do and I know for me that's a very very important thing to have that autonomy in my life and so it's only fair if I grant that to others but then at the same time it allows for yeah magical things to happen when you mm -hmm. both engage in open conversation and um as a coach or as a facilitator, you can ask uh, great questions or you can bring some new perspectives or some maybe models or concepts people haven't heard of, but then let, let them draw their own conclusion and uh, figure, their, figure out their own unique way to use it. So, so Nicole, I want to ask this question at the beginning. You're, you're very focused because of your background on R&D folks and people in the tech space. And I think there's this conflict today of not wanting to assume people are a certain way or communicate a certain way, but sometimes that leads to ignoring the reality that certain types of people more often communicate a certain way or a different way. Can you talk about how you've navigated that 
space of don't assume, but let's be thoughtful in our different communication. Mm. So maybe, maybe a little story about back when I was working in innovation and we had a meeting together with marketing. Um, so first of all, the way we approach work is very different. So as uh, scientists or engineers or people in techs, like we like structure, we like order, we like methodology, and that's how we go about things. We're very analytical. We say, okay, give me the data. No or close to no opinions at the beginning. Let's stay open. Um, and you know, there are facts that we can uncover and that these are the things that we base our decisions on and we're going to be super rational about these things. And then you meet people who are in marketing who are, and for the sake of the conversation, I'm stereotyping drastically here, <laughs> <laughs> um, who are more on the creative side, more intuitive in how they approach their work. Mm -hmm. I remember watching them do their work when they came up with new brands, for example, and they were discussing where it's like, okay, there's like a, a swoosh in the artwork, you know, it's like some, some graphical element. And if it's a bit more up top or a bit more down, and I was looking, it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> How is this important? But apparently for them, it is important and it yep. does make a difference. So just because we don't think it that same way, doesn't mean <laughs> they're wrong. It just means that we, when we speak to each other, and we want something from each other, we need to be more mindful about staying mm -hmm. open and curious for longer rather than assuming we think what the other said because they probably didn't or we probably <laughs> haven't understand and understood them. And just to illustrate that on this like one story, and I think this will stick with me for the rest of my life, is where, um, so obviously the, the marketing people were closer to the consumer. They had done all the research. They had an idea for, the, for where they wanted to take the brand, what the product should be able to do or what feelings it should elicit and so on. And then it would be our job in the R&D department to somewhat translate that into flavor, texture, and these kind of things. <laughs> and I remember sitting in that meeting and and I said to her, so, so to the head of marketing at that time, I said, yeah, but you, you got to give me a bit of a briefing here. I don't know. I don't, it's like, if you just give me like two random stories, I, I don't know what I should do. You need to give me a briefing. And she was adamant. It's like, I'm not giving you a briefing. I'm not giving briefing. This went on back and forth for about five or 10 minutes. She was getting frustrated. I was getting frustrated. Somebody had the sense to call a break in the meeting because we were clearly going in circles. And it was only years later that I found out that the part of the organization where she came from, the term briefing was um, or carried the weight of something. Okay, this is now this is now ready to launch. This is ready to go mm -hmm. to production. Yeah. That yeah. was not my intention. I wasn't asking for this. I was in innovation. We were, we were very early prototyping. And so of course, we don't have that level of clarity. What right. I wanted to have is some direction and description, but just because both of us got so hung up on that word briefing, but we didn't <laughs> realize in that moment that we completely have a different understanding of what that word means. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> so so Nicole, let's let's talk about that scenario. One, I heard a lot of things in there. You were speaking a different language, basically, mm -hmm. without knowing it, right? Yeah. But there was something that you had. You chose to ask the question. You chose to let them know what you needed. Now it didn't go well in terms. You didn't get it immediately. But in this space of R and D and uh, tech. Do you find more or less any kind of different inclination or hesitancy about speaking up and like getting what you need? Hmm. Um, I hear that from a lot of experts that they, um, you know, when I do training in communication and collaboration or when it's about building self-representation skills, um, uh, we have the tendency because we are all experts among our, uh, ourselves. And when we say one term or we have one description or one document and we give it to another expert and they know the implications and they know what it, you know, they, they think like we think. Right. 
we're often not prepared to understand that others might not draw the same conclusion or have the same interpretation. Uh, others might not know what we don't know or what mm -hmm. information we need. Good point, and good point. It, but it doesn't occur to many of us to then simply go out and ask and stay, even if it's frustrating at times because you might not get the clear answer that you want in the first conversation, but then to stay in conversation over a longer time and actually not only starting to build that relationship and that understanding once you need something or once you have, you know, you know you're working with a project with a tight deadline, but instead have some curiosity and start to understand how are they actually working when the stakes aren't that high, you know? So in calmer times to actually just take some time and go and either shadow people or have them explain to you, how do you work? What information do you take from where? How do you process this information? What outputs do you generate? What assumptions do you have? What All these kind of things, you know? So what makes you tick? Uh, how do you think? Who are your partners? Uh, what are your uh, guidelines for when you think, you know, why you choose this over that and so on? So, and if we stay in conversation for much longer, you know, before we even need it, I always like to say, uh, dig the well before you're thirsty. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, that could avoid a lot, of, of a lot of misunderstandings, for example. Now, in when I was in tech, I, I would find that a good portion of the technology related people the 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 scientists if you will tended to be more introverted um may not speak up in in certain situations but when it came to the actual work itself the 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 science of it they had a lot to say but oftentimes they may not have felt as comfortable speaking out in a group and so some of those dynamics, do you find that to be something that you, you face as well? Yeah, absolutely. And they even say it themselves, you know, they, I'm actually, for some of them, it's a bit like a badge of honor, it's like that, that mm -hmm. they're not saying something that has already been said, or that right. they're not uh, bulldozing people in meetings or taking, taking up all of the airtime and so on. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's like, for them, it's, um, it's almost virtuous to, to not be front and center. Interesting. Um, and it's then we then have to do a little bit of mindset work often that it doesn't mean, you know, it's it's not either this or that, but it's actually mm -hmm. a sliding scale. And so how can you not fall off on either one of the ends, but how can you find a really good balance? And then also in the middle, you know, it's like go move a bit more to one side and then a bit more to the other side, depending on what the situation calls for. So for example, if we've had this, you know, if marketing, and again, I'm stereotyping here, but if marketing sets a launch date and says, okay, and we need to have this product in the market by then with that kind of volume, and you say, okay, wait, we have a, we have a lab size prototype. We don't even know how to scale that yet. We have to figure that out first. Um, so we may need a month or two more then there is a time for you to step up and for advocate to advocate for you know bring bring your valuable input to the conversation um and there may there may be other times where it's fine to just step back step back for a bit and uh rather take in and elicit from others what they think so nicole i'm going to choose not to make an assumption here i have one in my head but i'm not going to make it i'll ask the question when you're working with companies, are you working with both the research and development and tech, the science people, and everyone else to help create uh, overall communication improvement? Or are you brought in to work with, you know, the scientists and the R&D folks more specifically? And I'm, I have some follow-ups, but let's start with that one. Mm. I mean, the more people you can bring into the journey, the better. However, it is sufficient to start with one end. Uh, it is, sometimes people are amazed how much relationships can change if just one person makes an effort hmm. to um, not to become a pushover, 
I want to be very clear about that and not to um, not to concede or agree with everything, but in um, setting up the way of working together differently in starting to sharing information differently, depending on what we start to see, what our counterpart needs or how they need to hear information and how they best process information and how much of a runway they need before they have to make a decision. You know, some people are very comfortable with taking a decision right on the spot when you give them all the facts. Others want to mull over it. And if you um, if you are a bit sensitive to this, to, to other people's communication needs and you adapt to that, then yeah, tremendous progress can be made even if you're yeah. just one part of the couple. Well, that, that's interesting. Um... I do hear you, and I believe that one, you know, one side of the relationship making changes, and it makes me wonder, for example, with the assumptions, we regularly talk here about everyone being aware of the bias we tend to have that everybody thinks like I do. <laughs> and I know that's not true. So I'm curious, if you're coming in to work with the scientists, the R&D folk, do you ever get resistance from that group saying, well, why is it our only our issue? Um, no, I mean maybe they have that thought, but they. I have never heard anyone say why is this only our our issue because everybody has a stake in this, and uh, I have found the people in R and D and tech to be very open, eager to learn, even you know and. They know they, I mean, they know they have an agenda or, or a wish or an opinion for what's better for the company or what is necessary to serve the customer well or to have a high quality product, these kind of things. And if there is a way, some tool that they can learn or some skills that they can build to be more successful in advancing that agenda or um, sharing that opinion in a compelling way with others, then they're very, they're very much for it. Yeah, I just find that oftentimes in the in the tech world, there's there's not the mentors that will help them communicate effectively. And so, you know, you you're a great benefit to a lot of organizations that get to understand that if if somebody is able to communicate their ideas more effectively then it can it can create a not only a richer dialogue but it can actually help improve the outcomes for an organization oh absolutely like if i oh i don't know we, we would be with with one or the other product we probably would have been to market faster if it weren't for all the misunderstandings and misalignments <laughs> Yeah. And that is that is one aspect where um, companies pay attention to, you know, it's like how how quick can you get to market with your innovations? Mm -hmm. But then also just think about, uh, I don't know, in your day-to-day -day operations in supply chain, for example, I, I see that um, in the change management efforts that I do, so even in the day-to-day -day operations, where you might think that the wheels have been greased for a very long time, they really aren't. And you know, I don't know, it just leads to high stock levels, it leads to um, having write-offs because there was miscommunication or misalignment on how much of something you need to produce, these kind of things. So it's, it literally translates into money. And then you can move on into, you know, everybody speaks about age of disruption and digitalization and all of these things. And if you want to move those bigger business transformation projects forward, then also you need to bring the people with you. And again, right. um, you will face more resistance across the, across the impacted parts of the business. Uh, you will, it, things will go slower um, and you will, not, you will likely not get the whole return on investment that your business case has laid out if you don't pay attention to the people side of things. Now, where, what is the role of the facilitator in all of that? It seems like facilitation skills in, in a meeting or in trying to get multiple groups together become really, really important when you start talking about the dynamics of different ways of thinking and bringing them together. Yeah, absolutely. So that is where it really helps when you have someone who, who is not as involved in the subject, you know, who is okay. not attached to any 
way of the outcome, mm -hmm. you know, especially when you have conversations where the stakes are high to have someone who is somewhat neutral and who knows how to ask questions, mm -hmm. ask questions or elicit our thoughts from either side to pay attention that everybody gets a good amount of airtime. Right. Nobody's talked over to make sure that we pause after we have seemingly come to a conclusion and made a decision and then just give everybody a moment to think and process. Is this really what we want? Are we sure what the implications of this are? Yes. These kind of things. So it's, it's yeah, someone with the skills um, and you can learn these skills. Yeah. So this yes. is not uh, you're either born with it or not, but uh, you can learn these skills and then to actually have everybody know, okay, this person has the task to make sure we have a productive conversation. So when this person interrupts you because you've been talking for 10 minutes straight, then maybe you stop talking and let, uh, you know, <laughs> give someone else the chance. Do you, do you require ground rules when you, when you go into a meeting? Well, shorter meetings, no. I've, um, I've personally now come to a place where it's, um, where I can, like meetings of an hour, hour and a half, two hours, I can facilitate those without any kind of ground rules. But when I know the stakes are high or the we're on a re, we're really on a clock with getting to a decision or finding a solution, or if we have a longer time together, uh, like a one or two day workshop, then I typically ask the team for ground rules mm. um, and we collect them together. And typically they say things like, we want to make sure everybody can finish their sentence and we don't interrupt each other. <laughs> or um, we stay um, appreciative of one another, even if we have differing opinions, uh, these kind of things. And then um, sometimes at halfway points or at the end of the day, we would then review, okay, how have we been doing on each of these rules that we agreed to. And it really serves as a nice primer for everybody to be respectful. So Nicole, you mentioned a word several times, relationship, and you talked about digging the well, which I think partly was referring to building those relationships first. <clears throat> One thing I'm curious about, we had a guest some time ago who was talking about folks in the, in, this was an engineer who, I, I still chuckle at it, concluded that had this epiphany that leadership is about relationships. <laughs> Good. Revolutionary. <laughs> Everything is. And what he said was that he never got that. He hadn't gotten that. So what he did is he engineered his relationship building. And he took the engineer's approach and built a system of his out. He said, I need to just connect with my people. So he systematized it. So he was genuine, but he needed a system. So he used the way he thinks, the way he communicates, to build the relationships, he just needed to do it his way. So can you talk about that idea of relationship building and how it might be the same and maybe different for folks in this space? I think it's a great strategy to see whatever works. Um, and again, you said the important word of it being genuine. Um, so again, your intention is what matters. Um, so if it's your intention to uh, trick people, to manipulate people, to, um, I don't know, to just squeeze them for whatever you need from them, then whatever way you go about this, you can be the most fluffy and nicest person, but uh, it, it won't be sustainable. And quite frankly, it will blow up in your face sooner or later. But if you, if you have an, uh, an honest and genuine attention where you care about the person, but you also want to have a good working relationship with them, then why not build the systems that enable you to, you know, nurture that relationship? So, I mean, it's like, I have, I have, I have to put the birthdays of my friends in my calendar, right? because otherwise I will forget. And yep. I'm genuinely interested in them as a person. And nobody would think less of me because I need a reminder of their birthday. So in the same way, if I want to make sure that there's, and you probably have heard of Dunbar's number. I don't know mm -mm. what the backdrop of the science to this is, but uh, it is uh, said yeah. to be the number 150. Oh, yeah. Is the, you know, the, the, the amount of, let's call it, meaningful relationships that anyone can have at a time. 
And now think about how many friends and family you already have, how many other acquaintances in your, in your personal life that you have some sort of a recurring relationship with and subtract, subtract that from 150 and then you end up with maybe, I don't know, 80 to 100, depending on how big your you know, circle of friends maybe is. And now think about how many people you have to deal with in your, in your working life. I mean, it exceeds 80. So anything that can help you, you know, I'm saying, okay, there's one person we are, we have worked together at one time. And now through to many reasons, we end up in different parts of the organization, but I really want to stay in touch with them. So I set myself a reminder that every half a year I'll check in with them. I mean, there's absolutely nothing bad about this. Yeah. And actually, when I'm working on change management efforts, where we know in six months, nine months down the line, we want people to work towards new procedures, to use the new system and not build their own little workarounds, then we are getting super intentional in building a relationship and the trust that they come with us on the journey, that they... Um, that they voice their concerns, that they give us feedback, and we we build a communication plan. I'm not saying you need a communication plan for your relationships, but I think thinking of a system that works, and um, you know, if that is a a crutch that can help you do your job better and build those relationships that are really. I mean, it's not just good for doing the work. It's also it also feels good, you know. When all out of all all of a sudden, you receive a message from someone you haven't heard about in a long time, and it's hey, I, I was thinking of you. Remember that moment that was really funny, and they just brightened up your day. I mean, who's losing yeah. here? No one. No, I've seen some people that do networking really, really well. One of my former business partners, he he had his system in place, and he you know that you were going to get a call in you know x x number of times. There are customer relationship management systems that I mm. think are fantastic for personal relationships as well, because you can say, OK, uh, Jeff is an A, so I'm going to want to stay in touch with him once a week, you know, once every other other week, something like that. Um, you know, Bob's a B and maybe I want to stay in touch with that person once a quarter, C, maybe, you know, once or twice a year. And so it the system itself will prompt you if you haven't stayed up with that communication which I think is brilliant because let's face it, we have a lot of other things going on in our heads right now. <laughs> yeah. So Nicole, you used a word just there on your answer. That's the first time I've heard it. I may have missed it earlier. I was listening for it. And that was the word trust. You talked about trust. Talk about the role of trust in all of this, whether it's communication, relationship building, collaboration, Everything you've talked about thus far, change management, I would say, I would say trust is, is deeply embedded in there. Talk about that as well as how often are you directly addressing that as one of the issues? That is an excellent question. I think trust is... Um, I mean, if you set out to build trust is as as a as a thing on its own, then you know, I mean, it's nice and it's good, but what's the point? It shouldn't be the end. It should be the beginning, sort of, of your thinking. You know, so it should be the um, an overall um, premise or or deep deep held belief, even to to know that this relationship will stand on a rocky foundation if there's no trust between us. And so every interaction that you have, every connection that you make with one person, and I don't mean that we have to have the, the deepest relationship with our you know, co-workers. It doesn't mean we have to tell them all of our troubles and our worries and so on. You know, it's like you, there can and should be boundaries, but Within that working environment and within that setting where this relationship exists or this partnership exists, you should always keep trust in mind. And mm. trust isn't something that you build today and then it's there for all eternity, but it is something that um, needs continuous intention and um, 
I don't even want to say effort. It's just a way of um, small things, you know, it's like, do I, do I speak to you when I have a complaint or when something's not working or do I speak about, about it to everyone else? And you have to find out uh, in a, in a not so good way. Um, do I keep my commitments? Yeah. So things like accepting meetings and then actually showing up <laughs> uh, to uh, saying, I'm going to deliver this to you. Uh, and then actually holding, you know, staying true to my word. Um, am I being honest if I can't meet a deadline or if something's going over my head and I need help? All of those things build trust. Um, will I keep the secrets that you tell me in confidence? Or will I go on blabbing about it with everybody else? So it's those small things. It's just how we approach, uh, how we how we interact with people. And it's, and I must say that it takes a long time to build. So sometimes people are willing to give you the benefit of the doubt and just say, okay, it's like we're coworkers. I've heard good things about you. So you have like this much of trust in the bank already. And now you can add to this, and you should add to this over time, or you can subtract from it. And the building of it and the um, the stabilizing of the trust is, is really, it's done in small portions. However, the diminishing of trust can mm. happen overnight, really. So uh, with some infractions, they are just so severe that... Um, yeah, that it's it's just it's hard to recover from that. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Welcome back. Well, you said a couple things so interesting, and I'm going to go in this order. You talked about different things that trust impacts. You talked about one of them was asking for help. Mm. And when I heard that, I thought, well, for me, yeah, asking for help builds trust. And I also often want trust and before I'm willing to ask for help. Do I trust that it's okay? Is it safe to ask for help? And that made me think about vulnerability. Hmm. And you know, we talk a lot about vulnerability here and the, the critical role of vulnerability in leadership and building your teams and all those things. Do you find that vulnerability is a different conversation in the scientist R&D tech space? It depends. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not a black and white answer, but it depends. So the way I observed it is people don't feel too comfortable admitting 
personal shortcomings or not knowing. However, people are very open about when it's when we're discussing technological advancements or really front-end research where not knowing yet is the whole point of it. So um, then admitting, okay, it's like we haven't figured that out yet. Uh, and then, I don't know, a couple of months coming back, a couple of months coming later, coming back and saying, okay, now we have figured it out. So in those technical um, um, subject-focused discussions, people are often quite comfortable of saying, okay, here are the limitations. We don't know that yet. We only can say this for certain under these and these circumstances. And it's actually good form in science to know the limitations of what you know. And But when it comes to actually um, admitting or feel, feeling bad about it personally, that I don't know something yet because I think everybody else does. Uh, or I should already, and so on. Um, so, and this, yeah, and when a certain reputational element comes mm. with this. So, um, that's another thing that also some private clients have told me often is that in peer to peer meetings, not a problem at all. However, when some higher ups are in, you know, the, the ones who make decisions about budget, about your career of advancement, they, um, they often fear that if I show vulnerability or if I, I admit to my, my shortcomings, that this will never be forgotten. <laughs> and um, yeah, and it, I, I will suffer the consequences still years later. And I'm sorry to say it, but with many, with, with many leaders, um, especially the ones from, you know, the the pre-Brené Brown generation, let's say. <laughs> it's, um, they are true. I mean, I have, I have heard many senior leaders saying, you know, I don't know, when a proposal was made to uh, add this or that person onto a project, that the senior leader who had an, in, an, an interaction with that person uh, like three years ago saying, yeah, they, they really didn't deliver back then. So I'm not sure they're a good fit for the, mm. <clears throat> for the project right now. And say, you know how much people can grow and learn in three years? <laughs> Why not give them a chance again? But it's like, you know, it's those kind of stories and things, even if it doesn't happen to yourself personally, but you pick them up um, around you. And if you hear that, then obviously you are not as willing to show any weakness and um, <clears throat> or admit to shortcomings. And it's a bit of a pity because, um, because yeah, you miss out on, off, out on an opportunity to really learn. So it seems like when somebody has a question, other people often have a question. And I guess I also look at from a leader's perspective, if I see somebody who's constantly asking questions because they don't know what's going on, that actually tells me that that person is more confident in their ability. So are you still seeing that a good portion of, of leaders are not recognizing that? Or, you know, like you were saying, the pre-Brene Brown um, era folks, um, it, what is the underlying feel? Are leaders moving towards that to understand that when people ask questions, it's actually a sign of courage and strength? or that they're idiots or somewhere in between. <laughs> you know, Craig, I like to think we are moving in that direction, but then again, I don't know everybody and yeah, maybe right. maybe I'm stuck in my own bubble of, you know, people who are doing this kind of work with leaders and um, uh, or researching around this topic. So I don't know, what, what is your experience? I mean, you two work with leaders a lot. So what, yeah. what is your perception? And not just the people who are in your, you know, programs, and, but also the ones around them. Well, I guess, I think we're moving. I think it's a slow move. And that's why I was curious, based on what you said, Nicole, whether there might be even a heightened resistance within the science space, the tech space, 
to acknowledging you don't know something. Yeah. Like, is there a heightened self expectation? And maybe even from others, there's a heightened expectation that Nicole, you're a scientist. I expect you to always have the answers. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, is there a higher bar that we're putting on ourselves mm -hmm. or others are putting on those in that space? Okay. Again, with the caveat that I don't know everyone, but from what <laughs> I have observed is no. I, I would actually think that the scientific and tech leaders that I have met, and if I compare them to the leaders in marketing and other business functions, they are more humble hmm. and um, they are more willing to accept that there are limitations um, and that there are unknowns and that there are things. I mean, it doesn't mean that they don't progress. Yes, they are very willing to still move forward despite the ambiguity and despite things not being as clear, but they also don't feel the need to try and cover, cover this up with some false statements about some assumed uh, certainty. So I've got to ask this question, Nicole. I've been thinking about it since we started this whole idea of collaboration. And I feel like it is either quickly or slowly becoming a cliche. <laughs> like I, I wonder how many companies 20 years ago had collaboration as a value versus today. Like every conversation is, hey, we got to look, folks, we need more collaboration here. I mean, everybody's saying that, but do you find that people actually understand what it is and help us better understand what collaboration really means, at least to you? Yeah. Um, okay. So that is why the, when I was thinking about, you know, it's like in terms of the services that we offer and the work that we do and the, the topics that we hold dear, you know, as consultants and as coaches, we kind of need to give those a name. And that is why I was thinking, a lot about you know what I want to stand for in that area hmm. and collaboration just like you said it's, like, it's been around the block a few times now <laughs> and so that is why for me I really I really rather instead of just saying okay let's have good collaboration I like to say let's build remarkable partnerships hmm. and collaboration is a part of having remarkable partnerships um, so and it's a way of collaborating where everybody wins. So the customer wins, uh, the business wins, but definitely also every contributor in the company wins um, in terms of outcomes, in terms of value that we create. And remarkable partnerships is when we work together or when working together is fun and energizing and it leaves us fulfilled you know people can be the worst thing about your daily work and it, they can be the best thing about the, their daily work i mean yep. how often have i left work which was an absolute horrible day but i pulled through and i looked forward to going back in the next day because i knew who i was working with mm, at the same time having a normal day or even a win in the day and then having a very de-energizing conversation with someone or being put down or you know, receiving feedback in a way that is neither appreciative nor helpful, then, I mean, I can lie awake at night for two days in a row. So it really makes a difference. And um, yeah, and it's just all about uh, together creating value for, for us as teams, but also uh, for, um, for our customers yeah. So this is just really that is why I think about rather remarkable partnerships, you know, something that's like where you're like, what? This is how you work together. Yeah. This sounds fun. It's like, I want to be part of this team, you know, and you sense it. You don't even have to. Uh, I think I still have to put a lot of more thought work in and like uh, getting the description and definition of this right. But uh, because it is so visceral in experiencing of what that means, I'm sure you two have had. Yeah experience of teams where it was just awesome to be a part of it oh yeah uh, no matter how horrible and how high in workload the project was <laughs> yeah Nicole, it sounds like what you just described and i really liked it was using the your term building remarkable partnerships 
You could also call it collaboration. It's not so much a process as it's a way of being mm. for the entire organization. I mean, it's not just let's go do a collaborative project. Yeah. It's let's experience each other every day as collaborative, mm. which has all these elements of fun and energizing. You mentioned earlier being curious, which I happen to think is a key to collaboration. If people come to the table curious versus set in their ways, yeah. So is that a piece of this that um, building these partnerships and collaboration is more like it's in the water of the whole system versus it's a process? Yes, yes. I mean, you can formalize and you should formalize it on occasion. For example, when you're starting off a project, understanding how do we best work with each other or even in operations, you know, where you have um to, you know, where you have the handover between teams or departments, for example, whereas like we do one bit of the process and then it goes to you and then formalizing that, you know, when do you need the information and what shape or forms, like how do we know we're hitting the marks, like how can you enable us to deliver you what you need and so on. So sometimes it makes total sense to speak about it and formalize it, but absolutely it's our attitude and how we show up. Uh, is it you know, I'm the king of my castle here and everybody please serve me? Or is it, I'm taking 100% responsibility and ownership of what happens here and you take 100% as well. Yeah. So we're all contributing to the best that, or, you know, the best way that we can. And uh, also, am I willing to see you as a person who might not have a good day today because the small child is sick and you couldn't sleep the whole night? And uh, so I'm cutting you some slack if you um, if you missed the deadline today. You know, it's these it's these things of where we're um, yeah how we show up and it's a it's a way of being like you said, Jeff. That almost sounds like you're understanding that people are human. Fucking right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the word I wrote down. Humanized too. I wrote that as well. Mm. One thing I loved in what you just shared, Nicole, is you talked about you taking a hundred percent responsibility and each person taking a hundred percent. Yeah. And what you didn't say was a hundred percent of their part, no. but a hundred percent of the whole. Can you mm -hmm. talk more about that? Cause I think, unfortunately that is a unique way of looking at <laughs> the concept of ownership. Yeah. It's actually that is uh, something that uh, is a base premise for conflict management. So you can't, you know, when you have two, con and this is the extreme, yes. So if you have two conflicting parties going into the conversation saying, okay, I'm willing to take 20% of responsibility here. Yeah, okay, I'm willing to take 30%. <laughs> okay, you know, and even 50-50 isn't, you know, it's like, where do you draw the line? Like, when have you reached 50? And what does 50 for each of you even right. look like? I mean, it's just, it just doesn't get you anywhere. However, if we all take responsibility, not for what others do, but how I react to them, and if I'm willing to go and help, or, you know, instead of complain, or instead of assigning, uh, assigning blaming and shaming, or if, if I'm, you know, instead of just um, being being upset and frustrated and whining uh, about it. But, you know, it's like, am I willing to show up for you and with you? And yeah, it's just this, it can be a bit um, abstract, but I think if everybody shows up uh, willing to take 100% responsibility, like we also have no excuses anymore for ourselves. Right. And, right. <laughs> you know, when I have a bad day, I can come up with 100,000 excuses for why I shouldn't have to send another reminder for people to finally deliver this work, you know, <laughs> or be upset with people, um, you know, not joining the meeting on time because, you know, all these kind of things, it's small things, but they add up. But if we, uh, if we focus more on what we do and how we are with others, uh, instead of focusing on what others should be doing, um, it's much more empowering. Like many aspects of leadership, this works just as well at home as it does in the office. <laughs> so, uh, Nicole, I want to, you've talked a little bit about building remarkable partnerships, and I feel like the lead up to that was we've talked about a lot of the elements. 
would it be possible for you to share with us like sort of how you see the core, the core elements of building those remarkable partnerships? Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm not a fan of delivering cookie cutter training um, because <laughs> then you can also, you could just equally hand people like a stack of books and say, okay, this is all I know. <laughs> now go read it and you can come to the same conclusions, but it's not helping. Um, what helps much better is when you go in with uh, as a facilitator, really, and help uncover, first of all, really define the problem. Because truly, um, people, people often don't try to solve the right problem. But they, <laughs> they try to solve what is convenient and what seems easy. Right. And of course, this is it. But then as soon as you start digging, you know, so, uh, it's actually not. <laughs> so we actually have to start over here. So, uh, so, so that's that symptoms versus the underlying issues. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Um, and I mean, you can't even blame people. It's hard to read the label <laughs> when you're the genie in the bottle, right? So, um, <laughs> and, and that is where it's so helpful when you get someone from the outside in who can just uh, naively ask, ask you a ton of questions and see, you know, go, go on a bit of a fishing expedition and see what comes up. But once you have that, um, oftentimes it's the, um, you know, helping, helping with the attitude first. So, again, this is this difference of where people think, okay, give me a tool and give me something that I can do with that other person so that they finally behave the way I want to. <laughs> oh, yes. But then once you start to do a few exercises, for example, uh, in perspective taking, like okay that other person you know it's like if we if you were if we were just to role play a little bit um like what is going on for them in their world it's like what concerns do they have what's troubling them where are the pressures coming from what goals do they have and i mean everybody who's been in the corporate world for a long for a long time will not be surprised by that but then different functions often have competing targets against each other which is completely nonsensical, but it's kind of how business is, is run. Uh, so if this starts there, and then you have to collaborate with um, people you know, from different functions, they're just doing their job like they're told. They're not being mean to you or being an obstacle to your progress. It's just that they're doing their job. And so how can you um, go in with uh, the willingness to understand, mm. the willingness to be wrong, Huge. And the willingness to really advance that uh, in a conversation. And it can, you know, you might just discover that the person that you have, that you think it was enough for them to be invited to all of the meetings um, and to be updated then, that just because of their position or because of their personal structure, you know, or personality structure, they prefer to have a bit of advance notice so they can, you know, digest the information. They can bring thoughtful suggestions to the meeting and not feel like they're put, being put on the spot during the meeting, all of these kind of things. So that is really the first aspect of when you're working together. Okay, so what's going on for the others? You know, what do you think? And then try and find those moments, those little seeds where things are already working, you know, so because... Oftentimes people come in, it's like, you know, everything is bad. Nothing is working. I <laughs> doubt that. So when has it been working? Even if it's a small thing, you know, when was the exception to the not working? And then let's start there and see how we can replicate um, that and grow it. Yeah. Well, I love two things in that. Well, I loved a lot of it, but the thing that jumped out at me was this idea of defining the right problem. Because mm -hmm. I think that's... <laughs> So, so quickly people will jump to this first thing, or as Craig said, the superficial thing, and they're actually solving the wrong problem. Right. And so I love that reminder. The other thing that jumped out at me is the role of self-awareness in this. Hmm. And so for me, for example, you talked about communication. I've become very aware that I do my best thinking out loud. Yep. I, I, need, I just need to hear it. And sometimes I'll say it and I'll actually change my mind because I heard it and went, yeah, that doesn't, I just, I need to hear it, but I've learned I need to share that with people because they'll start jumping in. I'll say, Look, I just need some space to share this because I may have a, a different answer or a clear answer at the end of that. 
So I have to be aware of it. And I have to be willing to say that as opposed to expecting people to just accept my form of communication. It's external processing. Yeah. 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 And for example, if you are in a room with people who are not like you, yes. That might, you know, they might perceive you as someone being, you know, flim flaming around and just like uh, changing yep. your mind every every other minute. So right. the best thing, if you are aware of that, this is your style and this is what you need, then just voicing that or alerting people to this. Okay, so I'm going to think out loud for a moment <laughs> and I'm reserving the right to veto everything I say <laughs> later on, <laughs> you know, That's but great. just to... Just to make that clearer for people to just, yeah. you know, um, so this element of self-disclosure and almost giving people a little bit of uh, a manual for how to how to best communicate with you is really, this can be really valuable. That's a good point. I think there, there are a lot of people that don't voice, you know, they, they are definitely internal processors and getting them to communicate what their ideas are is the tougher thing. Whereas you know, Jeff and I are external processors and, you know, we're much more willing to talk and be wrong at times. Uh, so Nicole, I really love this. I love um, what I would consider a unique approach and certainly for a unique group of people, unique in that they're different and they tend to think differently. And I think that's so important in leadership to understand the differences in our people in so many realms, including the way they communicate, the way they think, the way they problem solve, the way they interact, the way they, they, the way they are differently curious because curiosity doesn't look the same for everyone. So I, I love this approach. You call it uh, building remarkable partnerships. So grateful you brought this with you today for our audience. Uh, we always like to have our, give our guests an opportunity to highlight or promote something going on in you with you or your business. And what is that? Well, it's like, I don't have any, anything on say right now. So I just want to really, um, yeah, if there are um, leaders out there who are in the R&D and tech space and they want uh, their team to be better positioned, to be a true, you know, partner in the organization, not feel like you're like in a parallel universe where you don't count as much. <laughs> or if you have, you know, if you think that the past two years have been extra stressful for your team and everybody's starting to feel a little bit down and you want to see how you can re-engineer your work life, um, you know, the time that you spend at work to actually make it less stressful and more motivating, then yeah, get in touch. Absolutely. I love talking <laughs> about this. And it's the best way for people to find you is your website. Yeah. So it's nicolechierske.com. And uh, I'm sure you put the link in the show notes. So I don't have to spell it out right we now. Will. We and will do that. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Okay. Is uh, LinkedIn, did you say? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll put that in there as well. So we always wrap up with uh, a couple of signature questions. And the first one for you, Nicole, is what is that book? What is that book that folks need to uh, check out to grow themselves? Yeah, I really want to recommend this because it's science-based, but it's about leadership and it's called Positive Leadership and is by a guy called Markus Ebner. And he really took a scientific approach uh, of um, researching, not just in lab conditions, but in actual companies. Um, you know, what are some concrete behaviors, things that leaders can do day in and day out and know they don't cost anything um, that have a demonstrable uh, effect on people's well-being, on people's performance and actually on business performance. So it's a really great and very practical book. Wonderful, Nicole. Thanks for sharing that. And our final question is one of our most fun ones is tell us about that movie that character or that scene that speaks to you about leadership? Yeah, I'm going to have to go with Mary Poppins, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she is just, uh, and she's really, she serves for me as a role model in how I work with clients as well and how I show up as in, um, you know, being there as a guide, uh, but knowing that, you know, you stay until the wind changes or the door closes. So it doesn't mean that you're like bound to each other forget uh, to to each other forever. 
but that actually there will come a time where it makes sense to to part uh, because people have grown enough because we go on our journey speaking of our own journey that is also that she always does you know she lets the children make their mistakes make mm. their own mistakes learn their own lessons but is always there to you know catch them and um yeah i don't know it's just everybody's invited to watch the movie this weekend <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for being here and for all the work you're doing to help organizations and people create more remarkable partnerships thank you for having me this was fun if you enjoyed this episode, please go to your favorite podcasting app, rate us, give us some comments, share some love. It helps us to get our message out to more people. Thank you so much. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com confident to find out more. See you on the inside. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.